Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 80 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. And today, we're going to get personal. We're going to talk about marriage. That's right, your marriage. And how's it going? Really? That's a question I love to ask, you know, because people are like, how's it going? It's going great. It's like, how's it going though? No, really, really. Like, how's it going? And usually when you ask that second question and people open up, man, it's amazing to discover that, hey, a lot of us have a lot in common. Sometimes it's not going so great. My guest today is Dr. Kim Kimberling, and he is a counselor who is specialized in marriage. He's got a book on marriage called Seven Secrets to an Awesome Marriage. He works at a life church, uh, good friends with Craig Rochelle, and has helped a lot of people, particularly people in ministry, put their marriage back together again. And, uh, you know, we talk about this a little bit in the interview, but I just think leadership and particularly ministry makes marriage harder. And every once in a while, I guest on someone else's podcast. I mean, I do this every week, but sometimes I get asked to do it. And as my schedule permits, I'll jump on other people's podcasts. Kim actually has his own podcast, and I talk about my marriage in that podcast. So we'll link to that in the show notes. It's kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 80, but I did a couple of episodes, shorter ones for him. So if you're interested in that, I tell more of my story there. But I just want to say to you, you know, like honestly, Tony, my wife and I, uh, we celebrated 25 years last year. We are so excited that, frankly, we made it. There were times where, honestly, in in about a decade into my leadership, we were, we were just hanging on by a thread. And we would both be the first to tell you the reason we are still married today and happily married, I would add, is because of Christ. And I know that sounds really spiritual and it sounds really simplistic, but it's absolutely true. We both hung in there. And that's why I learned principles like, you know, eventually your emotions catch up to your obedience. Because if we at, at the low points of our marriage had based our decisions on feelings, there would have been a very, very different outcome. But by the grace of God, you know, we prayed, we went to counseling, we got some help, we got out of a crazy season of life. And, you know, all these years later are having the time of our lives. And so when I bring you a podcast about marriage, it's not like, oh, look at the 1,700 things I did right, and you should be as good as me. Nope. I've made just about every marriage mistake in the book and uh, probably continue to make a lot, but, but uh, by the grace of God, our love and our relationship are deeper than ever. And uh, I'm still as in love with her as the day, well, actually more than the day I met her. And, and that was pretty deep. It was love at first sight for me. So that was pretty cool. In fact, we are spending an entire month away out of the country. Um, we're going to go away for a belated 25th wedding anniversary to Australia for the month of May. So we are so excited about that. We're in the final planning stages of that trip right now. So if you're in a tough spot, I just say, hey man, like hang in there and, uh, you know, get the help you need. And there is hope. So that's my little sermon for the day. It's just truth, but that is true. And I hope this really encourages you. And wherever you find yourself, just know that you can find hope. So before we get into the interview, just a, a big shout out and a thank you to everybody who continues to spread the love on this podcast. We really, really appreciate you. You guys do make it amazing. And the podcast today is brought to you by Rethink Leadership, the amazing conference happening in 
Atlanta, just over a month from now. Hey, don't miss out, okay? It's going to sell out soon. So make sure you go to rethinkleadership.com and join some world-class leaders. I mean, I'm so excited about this conference. Uh, we are going to have Jeff Henderson, Pete Wilson, Kara Powell, Leonce Crump, John Acuff, Reggie Joyner, myself. It's going to be uh, packed with, I think, great practical content on helping you lead better all the time. And it's not just about Sunday. It's about how to lead better on Monday. And uh, you can still get a great rate to get in. Just go to rethinkleadership.com. It's for senior pastors only. I would love to see you there. And we would also love for you to lead as well at home as you do at church. And with that in mind, here's my conversation with Dr. Kim Kimberling. Well, I'm really excited to have Dr. Kim Kimberling on today's podcast. Kim, welcome. Thank you, Karen. It's great to be here. Hey, you are the author of a fairly new book, Seven Secrets to an Awesome Marriage. And uh, you and I had a chance to talk about that uh, on this TV show I host up in Canada called 100 Huntley Street. Had a great time there. And I thought, well, let's, let's have an extended conversation together on the podcast. So I'm really glad that you're here, Kim. Thank you. It was, uh, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I think we connected well, and I think we have a kindred heart. And so it was, uh, it's great to be here. Yeah, and Craig and Amy Grishel wrote the foreword they to your book. They did. Craig has uh, been such a blessing in my life and to be a part of Life Church. So it was, an, it was yeah. nice of him to do that for us. Yeah, Craig's been a, a guest on uh, one of yeah. our episodes as well. I think it was episode 51. We'll link it to the show notes. Just a really great interview uh, with Craig, and God's used his life powerfully. So let's, let's rewind to you. How did you get interested in helping people with their marriages? Because you could have done a lot of things with your life. Why did you land there? Why did I land there? You know, I, I, I always knew God had, had called, well, I say always, from about 12 years old, I knew God had called me. And I had this, uh, growing up, we had a, I had, a, had an aunt that was a missionary in Africa. And she would come home, and I'd kind of help her, and she'd show these pictures of African villages. And I kept thinking, oh, God, please don't send me there. And so I yeah, just, I had the just, same <laughs> I just <laughs> and, and so uh, I kind of decided to get out my undergraduate degree was business, and I said, God, I am going to be the best businessman in the world for you. I will do. And, you know, I ran and ran and ran, and finally I said, I give up. And about that time, <laughs> a guy had come into my life that was doing Christian counseling, and he and I really connected, and he said, have you ever thought about Christian counseling? And honestly, I had not. And I thought, yeah, well, yeah, that makes sense. Why don't, what if I could do that? And that seemed to be what God wanted me to do. And, and so the marriage thing was interesting. Starting out, I was young, and I loved working with kids and passionate. But the more I worked with kids, the more I was working with their parents, and the more I realized if these marriages are better, these kids are going to have a better life. And God used mm-hmm. that to just transition me. And I still see probably 10% of my practice kids, but most of it is marriage now. And trying to help those people have good marriages because that helps those kids have a great environment to grow up in. Yeah, you know, that's a really good heart, too. And so your full-time clinical practice then? Yes. I, well, I've got to balance that between counseling about half-time and then also marriage, which is our ministry, uh, right. developing tools and, and uh, things that we use with awesome marriage. So it's a good balance, and I'm able to—the fun thing about being a marriage counselor, I can come up with an idea for awesome marriage, and I can field test it in the counseling room and uh, say, hey, does this really work? Does this really make a difference from somebody? So a lot of what is part of awesome marriage certainly has come out of uh, being a counselor for all these years. No, that's fantastic. And, you know, I like your preventative approach to rather than just doing, you know, recovery— so how do we make your existing marriage better? It's a little bit like often, you know, pastors are 
up trying to raise money for a capital campaign or operating costs or whatever. And what we learned a number of years ago is if you can just help people win with their money day to day, that becomes way easier, right? Absolutely. In other words, if you, if you teach people how to budget, how to save, uh, eventually the giving takes care of itself if you implant you know, this, this vision for generosity. But if people are upside down and sideways and underwater, in their finances, it's really hard for them to give. Similarly, if people are in a really bad place with their marriage, it's just going to be very difficult uh, to raise kids. So, Absolutely. and a little bit more because I mean, so many of the listeners of, of this podcast are leaders in the local church. A lot of us follow what's happening at Life Church. So, how did you uh, and your family get involved at Life Church? Um, we were in another church which which we really loved, and uh, Life had started doing some Saturday night. Um, experiences. And so one night I was going to, I had a meet, I had something and it said, you know, I think I'm going to go and uh, go to Life Church and just visit. We had been hearing things about it. And this was, gosh, a number of years ago, probably 16, 17 years ago. So I get home that night and she didn't want to talk about anything except this church and how, what she experienced there and uh, just saw what she and saw. And this is your right? wife? This is my wife. And so I said, well, I'll go with you next week. And so we went through this process of uh, kind of transitioning from one to the other. So we've actually been at Life Church about 16 years. So it was about five years old when we first mm-hmm. came. So we've been blessed to watch it grow. Uh, it's been fun to be a part of it. Uh, Craig has been a valued friend. Um, him, you know, writing the intro of the book was great. But but uh, what we do now is try to invest in marriage. Craig asked me, it's probably a number of years ago now, he said, what would your dream for marriages be at Life Church?" And I looked at him and said, I want a zero divorce rate. And he looked at me hmm. and said, hmm, okay, how do we do that? And so yeah. we've tried to, to try to help them with develop a culture for marriage. Uh, we do, uh, I do events, marriage events. And one of the things that, that has worked so well with the structure of Life Church because we're so small group oriented is that we always, when we do an event, funnel people into small groups yeah. and try to get them to begin to do life with other couples. And that, I think, is the way we change the culture of a church into a real focus on marriage and to build healthy marriages. And it's contagious. And that's what I want people to see. I want people to, to come into Life Church and see, just see visibly see healthy marriages. And I think that that attracts people because uh, unfortunately in our culture, you don't see that very many places anymore. No, you don't see a lot of healthy marriages. Or, or you see people who stay together, but they're just hanging in. They're just doing time, right? Yes. You know, I, it's interesting. I was thinking as I was doing this event we did in October, and I was thinking, you know, it's going through the book because it was based on the book. One of the things I left, left out that I really want to, to talk more about, uh, either in a rewrite on the book or add something to, and that is where couples just settle. It's just like, okay, this is as good as it's going to get. You know, we don't fight much, but they kind of exist together. And to me, it's just not having a marriage. It's just selling yourself far short of what God has for you. Uh, You know, I'm so glad you raised that. That's been a pet peeve of mine for years. I saw a lot of leaders when I was a young leader hit 50 and just kind of settle, you know, Mm -hmm. riding things out until whatever that magic number was when they could collect a modest pension and sort of, cash out. And I thought, I don't ever want that to be me. But actually, we did a kicked off 2016 with a brand new series at our church called Doing Time. That was, is this as good as it gets? And we're talking about marriage. We're talking about work. Like people actually today on the day that we're recording this, I had a, a friend drop by and I mean, he has an app on his phone that counts down to his retirement date. Oh my gosh. Literally. 
literally. And he knows it to the day. And I'm like, I don't, you know, I just, I, I guess I love what I do. And he and I have those conversations, but you're right. People just settle. And maybe, maybe your issue, you know, if you're listening to this podcast is not, you know, oh, my marriage is in such a crisis. And if it is, we'll, we'll get some practical advice, but you're just kind of bored and, yeah. uh, you know, you've settled and that can happen five years after you get married, two years, uh, you know, I've, I've friends who are much younger than me, you know, in their twenties and they've got friends who are married two or three years and their marriage is on the rocks already. And so it seems to be a universal issue. Now, shifting gears a little bit, Kim, here's a question for you. And I've always wondered this and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to ask you this, but do you think church leaders have it harder in marriage than others do? Or like, do maybe leaders have it tougher in marriage than people who wouldn't necessarily be in a leadership position? Or is it just marriage that's tough? Because I think sometimes, you know, those of us in church leadership go, man, I just feel like we get attacked more, or maybe leaders just do. Like, what, what's the deal with that? What's your take on that? Yeah, I would probably answer yes to all three statements. Uh, okay. I think church yeah. leaders, leaders, and marriage in general. I think with <laughs> leaders, uh, certainly uh, the, the demands on a leader uh, time demands, mm-hmm. not knowing how to say no. One of the things that actually Craig said in a, a message a number of years ago that just really hit me, he says, every time you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to something else. And he said, yeah. for him, and this has been true for me too, it was usually my spouse or my family that I was saying no to because I was mm-hmm. saying yes to something that was going to take me away from them. That I was gonna, And it were good wow. things. I wasn't going out doing, you know, I wasn't going to strip bars yeah, yeah. every night. I, it was like, I'm going to a meeting, I'm going to speak, I'm going to... Counsel with someone that's really struggling. You're doing work for Jesus. Absolutely. And to realize, I think, so So I think that certainly is something that leaders have to learn is how to balance that. And the other thing you kind of hit on is I think the enemy is attacking that. You know, I think yeah. from my perspective as a Christian counselor right now, that's where the enemy's after us as Christians. He's hitting our marriages hard, and he's hitting us in all kinds of different ways. And, and if he can crumble our marriages, I mean, that crumbles— so much of our, our culture, our society, and has a huge effect on the church. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I listen to, it's not funny, but I mean, it's significant that I listen to a lot of people's stories and often their spiritual journey takes a wrong turn after the pastor had an affair or, you know, had to leave because his marriage fell apart. Mm-hmm. And 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 often, you know, these, these were people with real ministries. You know, they... God was using their ministries and then the enemy seems to get in and, and, and things fall apart. I totally see that. And you know, I, I once heard it said that Satan can't steal our salvation. So instead he just tries to steal our joy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wonder, like, do you ever see that in marriage where, you know, joyless marriages just seem to show up? Oh yeah. Oh <laughs> in yeah. Your I office think it, on a regular yes, and, basis. And I think it can happen in any stage of marriage. I think you don't, it's what you invest in it. And, and you know, the, the answer is always so simple, but it's so hard. And the answer really is to a healthy marriage is God first, spouse second, but we don't play that out. And, and by God first, I mean like, you know, every day it's like, okay, God, today I give you my eyes and I give you my ears and I give you my words and I want those to honor you. And I want those to honor uh, my marriage and my spouse, and then what does it mean to be a servant to my spouse today? And and I think those, honestly, if you're going to have a healthy marriage and a great relationship with the Lord, you almost have to answer those questions every day because there, our culture today, when you walk out that door, uh, there's so many distractions. And yeah. and not that all of them are bad, but there's a lot of bad ones out there too. 
So that's interesting advice. God first, spouse second. Where do you see most people actually ordering things? Is it me first, spouse second, God third, like work first, kids first? Like where, where what, what are some normal, because you have the benefit, right? I mean, I get up there and I speak to people every weekend or at conferences mm-hmm. to leaders and, you know, I'm kind of basing it on comments and email exchanges and anecdotal stuff. But I mean, you're basically in the lab every <laughs> week. So if people get that order wrong, are, are there profiles? Like, do you see, okay, you know, there's a type of person that always puts this first or another type of person will put that first. Just walk us through that because I think that that could be very helpful. I, I think probably the, the big thing that we all struggle with is, is putting ourselves first. I mean, I think that the selfishness, I mean, and that's something that certainly my biggest struggle is putting me first. And, and when mm-hmm. I do that, it crumbles everything. Um, so I think just being... Um, because we live in a me-first culture. Everything that right. is geared is, is me-first. So that's, that's a big struggle of really making that decision, okay, I'm, I'm going to put God first. And how do I put God first? I've had, it's interesting. I had a guy a few months ago, and he was really struggling in his marriage. And he came, it was almost like the light bulb turned on when he was in the counseling room. He said, I have done a good job of putting God first, but I've missed it somewhere because my business is second. And my spouse is not, she's down the line. And it was a revelation wow. for him, okay, what wow. I need to do to put her where, where God wants me to put her. And so, so I think as Christians, maybe we at least go through the motions that we think of putting God first. And that's why I think we have to be real purposeful about it. And, and really each day giving God everything I have. You know, if my mind is not focused on the things God wants me to, I got a million other things I can focus on. And, you know, oh, go ahead. I don't want to cut you off. Well, and I, and I think so when, when I do that, when I'm, my relationship with God is good, it's really easy for me to put Nancy where she, where God wants her to be in number yeah. two. And when my relationship with God is off, she can go down the list real quickly. You know, and I appreciate you sharing that story of the business guy who said, I think I put God first, my business second. I think one of the occupational hazards in ministry is that often we think we're putting God first, but we're actually putting ministry first. Have you seen that? Absolutely. And I think there's okay. such a distinction in that. Absolutely. Walk us through that. Help us understand what's the distinction between putting Christ first, God first, and ministry first by mistake. I think putting God first is really more about my personal relationship with Him, and, and each day connecting with Him on the, on that um, on that level where it changes me, it keeps me changed, it keeps me focused on Him. Yeah. Uh, so it goes with uh, you know what you see, what you hear, what you read, all those kind of things that you try to focus on what God wants you to do. And so and, and so when we do that, then it, then it makes a, a a huge difference. And then if we put I think the problem is we associate ministry with our relationship with God. And, and yeah, it we do. is in a way, but if you look in Scripture, I mean, I can't find anything in Scripture that says anything different than God first, spouse second. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and it doesn't say love your ministry with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Exactly. There was, I think it was, uh, mm. I think I heard Tommy Nelson, somebody I heard do a story one time, and they talked about, a guy, and he was a great pastor, growing pastor, church growing, all this kind of stuff. And he was going off to, to, um, to lead uh, something with an F- FCA group that night, Fellowship of Christian yeah. Athletes group, okay. a huddle group. And so the picture was his family and his wife are standing on the, on the porch, and he's getting in the car, and his wife says, what about our huddle group? 
your first ministry has to be your family and, yeah. and your wife. And if it's not, then it gets, everything gets out of order. Okay, so we're, we're going to have some fun here. Okay. This is free therapy for all of us. Okay? <laughs> and thank you for doing this. But we got the counselor on the line. Why? Because I think I've been guilty of that in seasons where ministry and God have gotten confused. Yes. And ministry is first. You know, I may be second because I'm innately selfish. My family uh-huh. might be third. And, you know, and I'm also, listen, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are A-type driven sure. people. And we say, hey, our ambition is surrender to Jesus. It's, you know, Christian ambition and all that. But I think, I think that point about ministry first is probably owning more people than we want to admit. Mm-hmm. Why do we put ministry first? Help us, doctor, I don't, figure out why, why, why do we do that? Why do I do that? I don't think we make the decision. Well, one, I think there's a payoff. Uh, okay. There's a Talk huge payoff. It's, if somebody, if I stay an extra hour and counsel somebody and we have a good session and they walk out and, boy, this really helped me. That was so good. I'm so glad we came tonight. Thanks for staying with us. While my, parent, while my family's at home waiting dinner on me. You know, mm-hmm. and, and so, and I think as a pastor, you, you get those payoffs. You go to the hospital to visit someone, and they're so thankful that the pastor showed up. <laughs> and you pray with them. And, and so you're like, a, you were supposed to take out the garbage. Yeah, you're, you, you are affirmed. <laughs> and so you go home, and exactly, it's like, where have you been? And the kids, I need help with the homework. Can you go in, and do that? And I'll take care of this. And then we got to get them to bed. Do you realize how late it is? And they've got to get up in the morning. And so you walk into that, and it's so real. And that's not a lot of payoffs sometimes. Yep. But that's part of doing life. That's part of being married. That's part of being a father or a husband. And, and those things that don't give us as much of a payoff are, are, are part of the big— but when we do those, the payoff comes, I guess is what yeah. I'm saying. It may not come up that night. Oh, that, you know, thank you for that. that that's so true. The truth's ugly sometimes, isn't it, you know, when you're honest? But, and, and I've always found, I don't know where you stand on the whole love and respect thing, but, you know, I know as a guy, I really appreciate respect. Mm-hmm. And I get it at work. And it's not, listen, my wife is very respectful and so on. My sure. kids are very respectful. Fundamentally, they're very respectful. But often I would find, particularly when the kids were young and the house was busy, that, you know, I would get more respect at work than I would feel like I got more respect and more reward at work than I did at home. Um, and, and sometimes I think I even ventured into the point, well, I'll just work a little bit longer because I want to avoid, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that emotional state of walking at home and having to participate and all of that. Yeah. You know, I'm not proud to admit it, but do you see that? No, absolutely. And, and I, and, and all of that's me speaking from experience, uh, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was one time in our stage in our marriage, and you know I was doing a lot of things besides being at home, and I was just Nancy was saying, "Gosh, I need you here. You're not helping the kids." You know, she was kind of pouring her heart out what she needed, yeah. and I said, "Yeah, but when I'm there, I said those people really love me. They affirm me." And and she looked at me and she said, "They don't live with you. They don't really know you." And I thought, <laughs> oh. I thought you are so right. <laughs> <laughs> they see me in yeah. the counselor role and. Yeah, she sees me in everything, and so that that you know, it's something we 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 definitely work on. And and I think um, as a leader, letting your spouse know how important she is. You know, if I've got a day and I'm back to back with uh, patients all day long, and she knows that, and somewhere in there, I just send her a text that says, "I miss you, I love you." It does so much for her. It, it's those unexpected things where I take time. She said because she knows then I took time out of a of a packed day to think about her, 
You know, it, it's just, it's cool. different than showing up on Valentine's Day and birthdays and anniversaries, which we all need to do. But those extra things, I think, mean a lot to our spouse. And, and I think it, you know, one thing that I've prayed pretty consistently is God help me to let her know how much I love her today. And God has been so faithful to that, to prompt me with a text or a call or a compliment, something. And I just think it's one of those things we put in God's lap and, and he shows up and you think, wow, that's so cool. And just to see the difference in her countenance when I do those things. You know, that's not bad, you know, for, for a prayer. Actually, if you're trying to put God first, spouse second, and yourself somewhere down the list. God, just help me, you know, give me an opportunity to show her how much I love her Mm -hmm. today. Starts with God. Absolutely. I can't do this alone. Put your spouse ahead of yourself. That's a good prayer. I'm going to adopt that one. That's great. It it is because if I start out, if I think, okay, I'm going to do something good for today, and I walk out the door, and I haven't said that prayer, I probably walk back in the door that evening and haven't even thought about it. But mm-hmm. when I say that prayer, it's like, okay, you've uh, these people are about three, going to be five minutes late for your appointment. What are you going to do with that time? Why don't you text her? Why don't you call her? And so, yeah. and I probably wouldn't have thought of it otherwise. That's a good. Do you find with couples? I mean, I've read the five love languages, as I'm sure you have. Sure. And mine, mine probably is words of affirmation. Mm-hmm. My wife is quality time. Is there something to that where you've got to appreciate somebody the way they want to be appreciated? I think so. I, I think. Um, Gary Chapman just hit on on something there that really seems to be valuable because I suggest couples read that together a lot, uh, and everybody seems to to identify that. The hard part comes, and I had a couple say that this week, and his love language is acts of service, and hers is quality time. And so he spent, she was late, going to be late that night. He cleaned the house. He did all this stuff, and she walks in and goes, oh, thanks. And he said, you know, if it had been reversed and she didn't have friends, I would have been doing cartwheels. And I said, and he said, it just was showed me there that it's the quality time and I've got to carve out that time for her. That's how she feels loved. And so I think there's there's a lot of truth in the five love languages and understanding what your spouse's ends. And because usually we do things for our spouse that are love language. Yeah. You know, my mine is is really words of affirmation. And I am really good at giving that to other people and to Nancy. But she's just like, Tony, hers is quality time. And so. And I have acts of service too. So, you know, to me, cleaning the house is a big deal or getting everything. And I see the thing, my challenge is I think that's awesome. And she comes home and goes, yeah, thanks. Yeah, exactly. What? What? Am I mud? Like, but, you know, that's my own. This is kind of funny, but I had a a good friend that we talked about the five love languages, and his wife's was acts of service. So he told me one time, he said, he said, I'm going to tell you this. He said, when I clean the toilets, we have the best sex ever (laughs) because hers is acts of service, you know. So uh, it's funny how that plays out. That's great. Yeah. And that's so true, right? That's so true. Exactly. She felt loved. She felt cared for. He did something that meant so much to her. So again, because, you know, you've got years of experience with this and you deal with this every day. What are some marriage killers? I mean, are there a few characteristics that when present just create a poison in a relationship? You know, I I do think, um, I guess there's probably a number of things. I think when we get things things out of balance, I think, I think in that, because, and maybe that goes back to our priorities, uh, but I think it's hard in our culture to keep things in balance. And if, if our marriage doesn't have the priority it needs to, 
we find ourselves drifting apart. And I think it's so easy for a couple to drift apart in our culture today. And the farther you drift apart, the more vulnerable you are to an affair or, or, or something else that's going to take you further away from your marriage. So, so, so I think making sure you have enough time there. I think the way we treat each other, you know, I did nothing. It just kills me when we're out to dinner or something and I see a, a couple just berating each other or one berating the other person, you know, that, that and you can tell, even if you can't hear it, exactly, you, see you can see it. And I think that, um, to know that, that, that I'm married to someone that is a Christ follower that Christ has claimed, and my role is to treat her the way Christ wants me to treat her. Now, I'm not perfect at that, and, and I've right. learned a lot in that, but I, but I think that because if you don't show that to your spouse, you know, women have so many options. Women have, you know, where guys usually get in trouble, they go to affairs or porn or whatever. Women need that conversation, that relationship. Well, they can get that pretty healthily met with a friend with other women. But that's what I tell women. I, I say, they say, well, yeah, I've got friends to talk about. I said, yeah, but your first choice for conversation has to be your spouse. It's got, you've got to get work. So, so when something comes up, whether it's a concern, something you want to share, whatever, the first thing you think about is telling your spouse. And the spouse has got to put the, make the atmosphere there where that's where she wants to come to. Yeah. So uh, distractions and, you know, I think would be another thing, you know, um, we talked about in a, in a deal we did for Awesome Marriage podcast when we were just talking about the access people have to the Internet now and yeah. kids with iPods at seven years old. So, I'm, I mean, we have so many different um, options that can take us away from marriage. Yeah. And, and I think and, and just so listeners know, this is a podcast exchange. Yeah. So you interviewed me for your Awesome Marriage podcast and we'll link to that in the show notes. Yeah. So. Uh, I just thought it'd be great to have you back and, and talk about that. Yeah, so I talked about, you know, internet and distractions and how that impacts parenting, but it really impacts uh, you as, you know, you've got all these options at your fingertips 24 hours a day. Yeah, you know, and, and I don't know, you know, our culture continues to try to tell us that pornography is okay. And, and I've never had a wife tell me that it was okay. What I hear him say, right. why, why does he look at that when he's got me? And I think that that's a yeah. fundamental question with pornography that every woman wonders when her husband's into it. Plus the, the way it affects our minds and our, you know, it, it's not, um, it's harmful and, and it, it destroys yeah. us and it destroys our relationships. It changes the way we look at women. All those I've, kind I've of seen things. mainstream literature now, like not specifically sponsored or written by Christians, that basically are, and I've taught on this at our church at Connexus, but that basically say there's a, there's a generation of young men who are having trouble actually having sex with a physical woman because of how porn has rewired their brains, that it's got the same impact as a drug addiction does. And because you need a greater and greater high when you're actually with a woman, you, you just can't actually, you know, be aroused even to the point of an orgasm because you've taken your mind into places that don't actually exist absolutely. in real life. Have you seen I, that? Absolutely. In, I've seen that. Okay. I've heard that. I think that's true. And I think that's something that I've even in, in counseling some, some younger guys or teenagers tried to help them see that it's kind of hard for them to grasp the, the, how, um, the truth in that sometimes because they think, Oh, it's okay. And, 
you know, it'll be everybody's doing it, yeah. which is probably true. Everybody is, or almost everybody. But it, it, but I think it does, and it affects us. And I think it goes back to you know, okay, well, okay, God gave us sex, so it's not like that when a couple has sex, God, you know, turns around and goes, oh my gosh, I can't believe they're doing that again. You know, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. it was, which some of you may believe <laughs> the way you were raised. It's like we're not yeah. even allowed to have sex or have fun having yeah. sex. Yeah, and and so and we look at it as this gift. And okay, I believe that God gave us everything we need to have incredible sex with the bodies He gave us. We don't need porn. We don't need whatever, tools, whatever it is. We just don't. I don't think we need those things. And so I think it's for couples, we talk a lot about redefining what's the sexual relationship, what really it is. And I think one thing that couples seem to kind of get is the fact that if you're both Christians, the possibility there is, and I talk about this in the book, is, is dode. It's, the, it's that, that uh, spiritual connection, a mingling of souls. It's a, it's a Hebrew word. And, and I think you have the possibility of not only the physical and the emotional, but that spiritual connection in the sexual relationship. And that is, I think, the height of the sexual relationship. And it's hard to, it's not one of those things I can just say, go do one, two, three, four, and it's kind of even explain what it is. But I've talked to couples about it, and they've come back and they said, we got it. We, we knew. We know what you're talking about now because we experienced it. Yeah, you probably crossed some wires for some listeners, you know, who grew up in a Christian church. It's like, what, sex is spiritual? Yes, it is. Yeah. It's not devoid. And I think the longer you're married, the more you understand that. There is a, I love your phrase, the commingling of souls, yeah. you know, and, and I think that's what it is. You, 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 well, I mean, the scripture says you become one. That is a spiritual thing. Exactly. It's not that just a physical thing. Absolutely. Good so this wasn't in the list of questions we had talked about, but I'm just curious. It's come up a bit already in the podcast. Why do people have affairs? I mean, it happens all the time, and I'm sure there are listeners who have had affairs, um, you know, sure. people who are tempted right now. You're like, my life would be so much better if I could hook up with whatever her name or whatever his name is. What, what moves you to the point of having an affair? I'm sure there are several things. There probably is, but I think probably most of them start with believing a lie that this is better mm-hmm. than what you have. Okay. And and I think where it becomes where it where it sinks in and people take that move is when they're not growing their marriage. If they're in that marriage like we right. talked about where you're just kind of stagnant and you're just kind of existing together, then I think you've right. got more vulnerability when someone new at work is there or you meet someone and and so I and I think we have live in a culture now that I, this was last TV season, I think, but there was something that USA Today had, and it talked about all the shows that year and how many of them were going to have an affair in them, and it was like seventy-five percent of the shows. And so the wow, the affairs really they're usually so. This is what we're watching. Yeah, right? it's usually not portrayed in there as bad. Usually, you know, mm-hmm. I, this drove me crazy. Last year we were watching a show that we really liked, and the woman it was getting ready to have an affair, and I was rooting for. Her. Because yeah. my, I had, my emotions had gone with her and this guy and her husband's a jerk in the deal. And I said, yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, if I can go there, how easy is it for someone else to go there? And, yeah. And, think and the other thing I've heard, too, Kim, which is interesting, is that, you know, when was the, and I can't remember the last scene I saw where a married couple had sex. Right. On TV. Right. right? Like married people going to bed together and showing anything. Not that you should be showing right. sex right. scenes on TV. That's a whole other debate. But I mean, if you're watching popular TV or movies, a married couple being in bed is weird, even creepy. Whereas an unmarried couple having sex is normal. Yeah. It's just, it's a completely distorted sense of, of sex today. And you're right. So your point is 
that that is what we celebrate in our culture. And so we assume that when we repeat it in our lives, it will have a, a, a positive effect, right? which it really does. So we be, believe in it. And, and I think, you know, I've had, had guys who've had affairs and they've, and they've just you know, been convicted. They've shared it with their spouse. They want to make their marriage work. And, and most of them say, I had no idea what the consequences were going to be. I had no, I had a guy a couple of weeks, he said, I did not want to hurt her like this. I had no idea that I was going to hurt her like this. But he did. But he built in the lie. Yeah. 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 No, that's interesting. Justin and Trisha Davis were on, I think it's episode 33. We'll link to it in the show notes. Anyway, we'll get the episode number right on my podcast, talked about their affair and rebuilding their marriage. And there's also an article, if I can find it, it was written in the New York Times. Uh, about three or four years ago, about a woman who, again, not a Christian, just a mainstream article, who talked about the impact of having an affair and how it devastated her life and not to believe that it's a better reality. And again, not coming at it from a Christian perspective, but I think you're right. We we fail to think, you know, and in the moments by the grace of God, you know, I've been faithful to my wife in 25 years, but when those Moments come where you think, I wonder if it would be better if I just think about the story I'm writing for my kids, what that would be like to stand up Mm -hmm. there one day in front of the church, the elders, and you're like, I don't even want to take my mind there anymore because that's that's horrendous and and certainly far worse than anything I have to go through to make whatever little period we're in better, you know, in our marriage. And and I think too, for the leaders that are listening and and pastors like you of of churches that are vibrant and growing, what that does to your church if, if, oh. if the pastor falls. You know, like with my pet, if, and Craig is such an incredible example of the things he puts in place to not go there. Uh, yep. But as someone like if Craig uh, had an affair, the, the fallout, the ripple effect in the Christian community would be, be devastating. You know, and Satan and oh, yeah. nothing more. Oh, absolutely. You know, and you end up leading a podcast. You have a blog that has millions of readers. And it's like, oh, there's another one. There's another exactly. one. You know, and you play into the cynicism of all of that. So, so yeah, so go have a date night with your wife. It's a lot cheaper than an affair or divorce. It's cheaper than an affair. So I, so I think it's it's not buying into our culture. It's keeping our focus right. And it's it's being purposeful about your marriage every day. I, I told Nancy this not too long ago. I said, you know, the 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 temptation for me earlier years, the porn was there, some things like that. And I told her, you know, what we have built in our marriage and what we have let God develop in our sex life, those things aren't even attractive anymore. And I think you can yeah. get there. I think we can get, it's yeah. like, I would not give up what we have for that ever. And so I think it, it's, you know, I don't think I've ever talked to somebody that said, yeah, I walked out the door one day and said, I think I'll go have an affair. It, it's, they began taking baby steps. So you end up talking to that person or meeting at, they're always at the coffee bar at the same time. So I get there or you find yourself, that person comes to our office on Wednesday. So I think I wear this today. And it's those baby steps that we don't think of as being that bad. But those are the, the steps that lead to having an affair. It starts in the mind. It does. It, it starts does. In the mind. It does. Yeah. Somebody I heard one time and they uh, were comparing it to a, to a tennis game. Somebody lobs the ball over, or you got to lob it back or not. Well, if you lob it back, then you've kind of responded, and they lob it back, and all of a sudden, you know, you're sitting having dinner with somebody. Wow. Yep. And that's the importance of having boundaries. You know, we've been talking about Craig Rochelle, Andy Stanley, and Mm -hmm. Craig are good friends. Andy did this huge series years ago called Guardrails, and Mm -hmm. 
you know, it's just putting, and I have that, like I generally do not meet with women, not generally, but like specifically do not meet with women alone. Right. I just don't, unless I'm married to her. So that's like one person. I won't meet <laughs> thank with goodness. Alone. Right. Yeah. Thank goodness. And, and, you know, in my office, there's a glass door. So if there is a meeting, someone's on the outside of that glass door and you know, we have that conversation, but they sound stupid. But on the other hand, you know, I'm 25, almost 26 years in really, really, appreciate love and adore my wife and wouldn't want to trade that relationship for anything. And by the grace of God, I, I haven't so far. So we have been in marriage holes, Tony and I, my wife, Tony and I, how do you climb out of a hole when you're in one in your marriage? Because I know there are some listeners who are going, okay, I'm recovering from a divorce. That's probably, a, or a, an affair. That's probably a whole other podcast, but like a lot more are probably just in that rut or that tough spot where they're like, I think the only option is divorce or I'm just so bored. I don't know how I got myself into this. How do you get out of a rut or a hole in a marriage? What are some tips that, that, that can help people get started? Well, I think the first thing you've got to do is take divorce off the table. I, I think mm-hmm. we put that on the table way too easy today. There's more divorces in the first year of marriage now than ever before in the United States. So really? people bail really easily now. So the, the whole commitment thing. And, and so I think you've, you've got to take, you know, we, our roughest time was probably around year six. And this is a time right after our son was born. He was probably six months old and Nancy was just struggling. She wasn't sure she loved me. She didn't know what to do all this kind of stuff. And, and God led her to a Christian woman. It was just a godly thing. And so Nancy tells this woman the story. Well, she told it to the woman like it was somebody else, not really Nancy. And this woman obviously knew it was her. She, I have a friend who. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so but the, the counsel, as I, as I remember, was, was, you know what? God doesn't want you to get a divorce. God wants to bless your marriage. He wants to make it worse. You need to take divorce off the table. And Nancy came home that night and we talked and we took, divorce off the table. And that was a huge step for us. It was a huge step for me because I was scared to death she was going to leave and I didn't want her to leave. And so when we did that and we've never put it back on, that in itself has been huge. So, So if you're in that hole, because of our culture, people get divorced so much. It's easy to keep that that on the table. And I think if you can at first just say, okay, we're taking divorce off the table. Now what do we have left? What do we have to deal with? And so a lot of times you're going to need counseling or, or to go to a pastor and, and, and a pastor may refer you to someone. A lot of times if we're in some of those holes, we do need help. Oh, yeah. Because just to, some accountability, uh, you know, one of the things that I try to get couples to do, and I, I think that Craig asked me this one time, if there's only one thing you can get a couple doing counseling that makes a difference, what is it? And I said, if I can get them to pray together. And so wow. that makes a difference. It connects us. And you know, there's a lot of couples that never pray together, a lot of couples that are scared together. And so we kind of go through a process. Okay, you guys are both concerned about your marriage. You both are saying you want it to work. You don't have to pray out loud together, but just just hold hands and pray silently together about your marriage. You know, what, start at the uh, comfort level that you're com- comfortable with. But getting couples to pray together is a huge step. And I think that's a huge step out of the hole is taking that step and then you can begin to work then I think it changes um, things that are you choose your battles better and and you begin to say yeah I can really let this go that's not that big a deal and then it surfaces the things okay these really are the things we need to work on so you know our communication is not good so let's learn some communication tools and let's begin to to do that sometimes it's helpful to take take an assessment that kind of looks at you know your strengths and weaknesses in marriage and then focus on 
yeah, we need, we need to really learn to resolve conflict better. That's where we get in trouble. And so we got to begin to work on those things. You know, it's so interesting when, when I hear you describe that. And I agree, and my wife and I have been through all of those conversations, you know, to get to this point in our marriage. We've had to look at everything. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, have not had to deal with unfaithfulness or, you know, adultery. But, you know, sometimes when I think about that as a leader, I think I do all those things at work every day. Like, you know, you're fighting to preserve a relationship or you need some new skills or the communication system is broken down. And I will attack that with energy at work. Yeah. But I come home and I'm like, I just expect it to be automatic. Yes. And sometimes I think if I took a fraction of the energy that I pour into leadership and poured it into being a better husband, we would have a better marriage and my wife would be better served. And so maybe the challenge to leaders is take the zeal that you have for your work and throw it into your home life because it will get better if you take that level of energy and skill. And usually, you know, by the time five, six, seven o'clock rolls around and you head home, you you're exhausted, you're tired, your defenses are down, and you just want to relax. Mm-hmm. And the reality is you need to save some of your best energy for home. One thing that I, that I, I guess somebody probably suggested to me back when the kids were little, but they said, on your way home, whatever your community is, take time to pray and leave everything in your day with God and then begin to anticipate when you walk in that house, what are the needs? When the kids were little, usually she needed help with me. Now it's it's like, you know, just connect with her when you walk in because the kids aren't there. They're they're out of the house now. And so it, it kind of helped me make that mind uh, mindset shift. And, yep. and you know what I would find too, Carrie, that when I would come in and use that energy at home and have a great evening with my wife, my day the next day was much better. And I, was, true. and I started looking forward to coming home because that, I was getting recharged. That was my refuge. That was a safe place for me. And, and it was a lot easier to go fight the battles the next day because I had put that energy into my, into my spouse at night. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. That's, that's a good word. Kim, without, um, you know, we got a few minutes left, but, uh, you know, just to make this real, you haven't had a perfect marriage. You've already <laughs> alluded to a few things, but what, what probably for you personally, just to encourage people, because I always think when we talk to experts, it's good to know, hey, we're all human. We all struggle. What, what's been one of the biggest struggles you've had to tackle personally in your marriage? Good question. I, I think one would definitely be um, my selfishness and how I play that out. Uh, and, and so I just worked at that and I, and God's changed me a lot in that area. I can still get in there I, knowing my vulnerabilities. When I get tired, uh, when I'm uh, stressed, I'm more vulnerable to get selfish and, and Nancy, and, and now she's good at it. And, and she doesn't, I, I give her permission to call me out and she does it really good. She'll, she'll sit down mm-hmm. beside me and she'll say, you gotta be stressed because I don't know if you've noticed, but you're not acting very nice. <laughs> and 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 because she—that's a nice way to say. Yeah, you know, instead of screaming at me, you jerk, you know, which she probably right. has every right to do sometimes. But but that then I think the whole thing is this team approach. If you can look at everything as a team, it makes it so much easier. You know, it's, here's the problem: you're not acting very nice. How do we solve that together? Right. Instead of, you know, blaming each other. So, so I think my selfishness has definitely been one. Um, that, that's the main thing that comes to mind. I mean, there's yeah. other things, you know. I, 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 Isn't the Christian journey death to self? Yeah. Like, that's a I pretty mean, big really, one. I, I get that. A lot flows out of my selfishness. Yeah. And, you know, if you have unresolved pain in your life, pain is selfish. Exactly. If I stub my toe, 
I'm not thinking about my next appointment. I'm thinking about how bad my toe mm-hmm. hurts. Mm-hmm. And if you've got unresolved pain in your life, emotional pain, you know, unforgiveness or whatever, that's just going to ruin your message, your 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 marriage as well, and and it's going to make you selfish. So you know, yeah, because I was stuff. things will run through my mind, and they all go back to selfish. If I'm not communicating well, it's because I'm selfish. Because I'm tired. Because I don't want to spend time talking tonight or conflict yeah. resolution. No, I just I'm just going to bed mad. I don't care, and you know, and it all comes back to selfishness, and <sighs> and I think that's probably the number one problem in most marriages that have that as we struggle, and it's probably the number one problem in humanity, and so. And it, and it goes. It is the human condition. You're right. It's death to self, life to Christ. It all goes back to putting Him first, and then other things then can fall into place. Something about maybe like if you lose your life, you'll find it. Yeah, that sounds yeah. good. Yeah, I've heard that somewhere. I've heard that somewhere. <laughs> so yeah, it's you know when you read those things, it, it it it's so great the things that God teaches us and tells us. And on the surface, they seem pretty easy, but but most of them are hard to do because oh, yeah. because we, we got to live life. And if it, you know, if I was in, I always thought, you know, if I was in a monastery somewhere, but maybe they have trouble too. But I think, you know, I wouldn't have any distractions. Oh. Our small group is going to read uh, Henry Nouwen's The Genesee Diary oh, yeah. together uh, at the beginning of 2016. And I'm so excited. It's a book I read in the 90s. And it's just actually his death to self at a upstate New York monastery in the 1980s. Wow. And fascinating book. Mm-hmm. We'll link to that in the show notes, but I can't wait to read it again. Yeah, that's good. Um, okay, this is good. One last question, okay. because if a listener is looking for just a glimmer of hope for their marriage today, because there are some, and listen, I had a season where we were hanging on by a, a filament, you not mean. even a thread. Is that smaller? I don't know. Anyway, real small. <laughs> um, where, where would they find that glimmer of hope? You know, what could they do to hang on against all odds? I, I think you've got to believe the truth. And the truth is, God wants your marriage to work, and he will go to the to the ends of the earth and beyond to do everything he can to make you have a great marriage if you let him. And so I think knowing there is always hope. I mean, I've seen couples that nobody would give a chance, and I've seen, and it takes time, but over time, God do amazing things. And so I think, number one, it's, it's having hope. We do have a God that cares enough about me and about my marriage to help us make it work and then to give him the time to do that because it's not probably going to come right now. He's not going to drop down and sprinkle fairy dust on you and everything's okay. It's going to be a process. And so being patient with it. So, so have hope, uh, get the help you need and, and, and follow through, follow through together. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Hey, I, I, you know, there's one more thing, because this comes up all the time at our church, and I don't know whether it does. I said last question, but... That's okay. You know, it's open-ended. What about the person who says, I am so willing, but not my partner? That's hard. They just... They, I know. I don't know what to say to that. And, like, and it, it, you, it's hard in... The, what do you do with that? Yeah, it's hard in the counseling room where I see one person really working and the other isn't, and knowing they're not going to go anywhere together. I, I think it's um, as long as the person's not being abused, as long as there's not things that really where that person's in danger, I encourage them to stay in and to pray yeah. and, and let God work on that person. You can't be, no matter, you can't be someone else's Holy Spirit. They are the ones mm. that have to open their mind and do that. And so, yeah, it's, it's tough. I, I hate those situations. I do too. I really do. And, and that's tough, you know, for pastors out there, you get that and, we get that in all kinds of forms, you know, I love Jesus, but my spouse just doesn't, or I want the marriage to work, but my spouse just doesn't. And, 
Yeah, I mean, that's a whole other podcast if you get into abuse and what is abuse and what is right. abuse and, you know, because you get into into all of that. And that's a whole other thing. But yeah, that's tough. And, and, you know, we'll be praying for people who are in that situation. Absolutely. uh, You know, and don't bear it alone. Go and sit down with someone like Kim, who is in your community that you can talk to, who can look very, in a very granular way, specifically at your marriage and give godly counsel. I think, and I think too, finding someone that you truly, truly trust uh, as a friend that that you can confide in during this. So you you know, I've had a I had a lady a couple of years ago and she never told anybody but me things were and I see the contrast with her as other people that have brought someone they trust in to walk through it with them and and it God brings people in our lives to walk with us and I think I think we need to have at least one person if we're struggling besides our counselor, besides our pastor that will be there for us day to day. Yeah. And, you know, I totally agree with you that God will go to the ends of the earth because he wants your marriage to work. Yeah, absolutely. He did for my wife and I, Mm -hmm. and we're just so grateful we hung in there. And I hope this has been helpful to people. So Kim, your book is called Seven Secrets to an Awesome Marriage. You also have a podcast called the Awesome Marriage Podcast. Right, right. right. And if people want to know more, where can they find Uh, you online? Our website has just about everything on it. Uh, I want an awesomemarriage.com. Uh, okay. We just launched a new thing on there we're calling Awesome Marriage University, and we're going to have some uh, some short courses for couples to help them grow their marriage uh, through a, a oh, great cool. platform called New Kajabi, and it's a very interactive thing. And so there's a lot of things on there. Most of the stuff we have on there is free. Some of the things cost. So, yeah, explore that. Mm-hmm. There's over 400 videos on there that are for free that cover all kinds of things with marriage that we've done over the last few years. Oh, that's super cool. Kim, thanks so much for being with us today. And I hope that a lot of the leaders listening, um, you know, maybe not tonight, but weeks, months, or even years from now can look back on this moment and go, wow, it was worth the fight. Thanks for helping me fight for my marriage and for my spouse and for my family. I think you helped a lot of people today. Hey, it was great being here. Thanks, Carrie. Well, thanks so much, Kim. Uh, some good advice there. And if you want some more information, you can find it all in the show notes. Just go to kerryneuhoff.com, episode 80. Can you believe it? Man, 100 is in sight. That is like nuts. This thing isn't even two years old. So it's a lot of fun to be able to do this week after week. Best way to make sure you don't miss anything is to subscribe. And you can do that for free. How awesome is that? Just if a lot of you are listening on iTunes, just hit subscribe on the podcast or on Stitcher or TuneIn Radio, whatever your platform is, just do that. Next week, we are back with Rob Cizik, who was in TV news, now leads in a large church in Seattle. And he's got something really interesting. I've written a lot about change. Actually, I'm rewriting my book, Leading Change Without Losing It. Uh, Right now, we're supposed to be re-releasing it this fall. Got my fingers crossed. It'll be expanded. It'll have more information in it. It'll have a new cover. It'll have some companion resources. And then Rob comes along and shares uh, one of the things I'm going to include, my own version of what he talks about next week, which is all about how to lead change and like how do you actually do it. So that's going to be for free next week on the podcast with episode 81. David Kinneman coming up soon, Ravi Zacharias, Whit George, Josh Whitehead, and so many more. It's going to be a lot of fun. So make sure that you're back here next Tuesday. I will be, and we'll talk to you then. Really do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. 
Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.